So one of the factors that not enough leaders do, whatever strategy you've been trying to implement to make yourself a better leader, do it as a group. Find two or three other people who have the same sort of interest in getting something done or improving in a certain way or exploring some new strategy on how to be better and give them permission to piss you off. To say, when I don't do this, I don't want you to let it go. This is the ERP Organizational Change Journal podcast, brought to you by Nestle and Associates, a Newport Beach, California-based ERP organizational change management firm serving the private equity industry. The ERP OCJ seeks to share expertise, insight, experience, and research, and to create effective conversation to help guide ERP organizational change to real, measurable, and verified success. And now, here's your ERP expert and host, the founder of Nestle & Associates, Dr. Jack Nestle. Hello everyone, Jack here. Today we're going to discuss effective leadership strategies. Effective leadership in healthy organizational culture promotes an environment that will facilitate and support ERP organizational change. Executive stakeholders benefit from further understanding and not assuming their leadership abilities, characteristics, weaknesses, and strengths. Strong leadership tendencies drive the organization to outperform expectations, work through difficult situations, and adapt to change. As a result, leadership is a significant cultural influence on the success of ERP organizational change. Let's explore this notion further. So in this episode, we explore practical leadership and how to cultivate behaviors that help you succeed and empower those around you. Our guest is an expert in leadership, values, and growth, and we discuss the behavioral changes that have been proven to improve leadership. With a focus on bringing value to private equity firms and their portfolio companies, as well as stakeholders involved in ERP organizational change, this episode provides actionable insights and strategies for effective leadership. So today, our guest is Drew Dudley. Drew is an internationally acclaimed leadership speaker, Wall Street Journal bestselling author, called one of the most dynamic speakers in the world. Drew Dudley is on a mission to help people unlearn some dangerous lessons about leadership. As the founder and chief catalyst of Day One Leadership, he has helped top organizations around the world increase their leadership capacity. His clients have included McDonald's, American Express, J.P. Morgan Chase, the United Way, and more than 100 colleges and universities. Prior to this, Drew spent eight years as the lead at one of Canada's largest leadership development programs at the University of Toronto. Drew is also the best-selling author of This Is Day One, A Practical Guide to Leadership That Matters. It debuted at number six on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. As a speaker, Drew has delivered keynotes to more than 250,000 people across five continents. His TED Talk, Everyday Leadership, The Lollipop Moment, was voted one of the 15 most inspirational TED Talks of all time. Please welcome Drew Dudley. Drew, welcome to the show. Uh, Jack, thanks for having me, man. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. Yeah, well, it's uh, so exciting to have you and really looking forward to this conversation. And I appreciate you, your work and your TED Talk and highly recommended. We will put that link in our show notes uh, and really encourage our listeners to check that out. It was a, a very fun presentation, to be sure. And Drew, before we get started, can you maybe tell us a little bit more about yourself to our listeners? Sure, actually. Well, I'm a recovering wannabe lawyer, to be completely honest with you. I went off to school years ago and I was going to go to law school because, look, if you like to talk and you get good grades and you don't like science, uh, you go to law school. If you like science, you go to med school. And I went off to 
you know, start to pursue a career in academia and then go on to the, uh, the legal world. And honestly, I went away to school and I met this extraordinary group of people and we began working on charitable campaigns together. And that's when I discovered that I would much rather engage with the world than write papers about it. And since then, I went on to become the national chair of that charity that I began working there. That led me to uh, branch off from the world of fundraising into leadership development at the University of Toronto. And I spent about a decade there building their leadership development program, trying to create a really practical way of teaching leadership, a way that wasn't sort of mucked down in the theoretical. And uh, about 10 years after that, uh, my students, unbeknownst to me, nominated me to give a presentation at one of the first TEDx events in Toronto. I think there was only five or six TEDx events at that time. And despite me telling them not to do it, they went ahead and did so. I went and gave a, <laughs> a six-minute talk about 13 years ago. And when I walked off the stage, my life was different. And instead of sort of being in one place, working on a particular process with students, I was traveling around the world and sharing it with brands and companies, the likes of which, if you told me when I was 18 years old, were going to be paying me for insight, I, I would have told you I must have done something right. And that's, that's where I've landed, my friend. I'm a world traveler now, talking about the process that we developed at the university all those years ago. And trying to find that way to close the gap between how we all say we want to behave and how we actually go about living our lives and doing our jobs. Wow, so cool, Drew. What a what a cool story. Uh, thank you very much for that. We're so excited and honored to have you with us today. And I'm really looking forward to sharing your expertise and experience. Listeners, all of us here at the ERP OCJ hope you find this podcast useful as we share lessons learned, discover best practices, and explore the human element components of ERP organizational change. Please stay with us till the end. Drew will give us his actionable gold nugget of advice based on today's conversation, and I will recap today's key discoveries and offer my suggestions on how to implement what we've learned. Because our conversations here are built around the listen and learn approach, it's when you apply what you've learned that you begin to move the needle forward. So let's dive in. So Drew, for today's conversation, I would like to start out with asking you some questions regarding cultivating behaviors for success. So my first question is, what are the key behaviors that successful leaders exhibit? Through all your work and your experience, what would you say to that? Are there any common denominators? Uh, what's your thoughts on that one? You know, what's interesting is if you look back through the history of leadership theory, which I'm sorry, but it's where I started the whole theoretical approach. I used to uh, joke with my students that theory is the word you add to interesting things to make them boring. But <laughs> there is a theory called trait theory which emerged relatively early on when people were studying leadership. And, and this is, I found something really interesting then. Do you know that the word leader existed for about 500 more years than leadership? Like the first, the first time you can trace back and find the word leader used in the English language, I think it's in the 14 or 1500s, but the first time leadership is used is in the 1800s. The idea that there's a difference between who a person is as a leader and the actions of leadership that's actually a, a relatively new concept. And I only mention that because it is pretty common for us to still sort of run back to that philosophy, which is, okay, what are the specific behaviors that great leaders have? And for what it's worth, there aren't specific behaviors that you could point out and say, if you do this, that's leadership. 
because there are all kinds of opportunities to use things like empathy, which you'd think is universally a good thing, but not necessarily. So I'm going to put it this way. The one thing that all the best leaders I know have in common isn't particular behaviors other than this one. They're unbelievably consistent. Like that is the trait. It's consistency. Whatever the particular behaviors necessary for your context, everybody listening has got a different context for their leadership. So the behavior you're going to need in one place is going to be different than the behavior you need in another place. But I will tell you that what's important is figuring out what behaviors have to happen every day and are non-negotiable and then staying committed to that. So I can't give you specific leadership traits that are going to be useful to everybody listening full stop. But what I can tell you and what my work focuses on is the importance of identifying a certain number of non-negotiable behaviors that are right for you, for your values and for your context and then making sure you stay disciplined with them because leadership isn't in the big stuff, it's in the consistent stuff. And my work really focuses on the idea that ordinary acts done with extraordinary consistency, that's where things change. And what I try to focus on is the fact that the workplace and the social world as we know it makes it incredibly hard to stay disciplined and committed to things. So we have to find ways of giving ourselves a little bit of help, staying consistent with the things we want. But, you know, I could say empathy is important. It's incredibly important. Vulnerability is important. That's incredibly important. But since every situation and every leader is going to have different things to face, what those specific tasks are, are different. What those specific activities are, are different. But what has to be consistent is the fact that you stay disciplined in executing them every single day, regardless of what they are, because they're going to be different for everybody. That's interesting, Drew. Thank you very much. Yeah. And you know, in terms of leadership theory, and there's these different ideas of transformational leadership, transactional leadership, servant leadership, and so on. And, you know, as you mentioned, there's there's all sorts of different theories around leadership. And I think there's a lot of articles out there that you see where they really trying to boil down and distill leadership into, you know, the top three attributes for a successful leader. And in my view, I always thought that was really drastically oversimplifying this idea of leadership. And I think in part, to, to your great point, it has a lot to do with the context. You know, maybe you might be in one environment where a transformational leadership style is perhaps the most uh, productive, you know, versus a transactional leadership style. But once you figure out what that is and what these attributes are, what that style is, at the end of the day, you know, if you stay committed to those and you're consistent, that's what creates good leadership. And and that's easier said than done, right? Yeah. And I think a big, a big issue too, my friend, is that the idea that every type of leadership approach has probably got a place where it does fit. And so I always want to caution people when they say, oh, you know, we have a very flat structure or we don't have a bureaucratic or everyone is a leader, which is very much my work, the focus on how individuals can impact in their own individual leadership moments. But let's also face it out there. There are situations where that kind of flat structure, where there isn't a reporting structure, doesn't work. Often in crises, for instance, you have to let go of what is often a more desirable form of leadership, which is more engaging, uh, enlisting more people in the decision-making process. Look, that is a great way. That shows vulnerability. It shows empathy. And over the long run, if you can maintain that sort of leadership style, yeah, the research shows that you're going to be better off. But that style doesn't work always in a crisis when decisions have to get made, where we don't have time necessarily to 
process everybody's input. So it won't work there. So this idea that that is always a better way of leading, that's why I say that it's hard to sit down and ever say, these are the actions of a good leader. Because sometimes that very engaging, more democratic or egalitarian approach, which research shows people respond very positively to, it won't work in all scenarios. Mm -hmm. So what's more important isn't consistent behaviors as much as a consistent decision-making process. Because you can stay consistent in how you make decisions, even when you have to make them differently across different scenarios, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Drew, based on that, how can individuals cultivate these behaviors or the relevant behaviors for any given context in order to empower those around them. So, you know, based on your answer to the previous question, which is really the, the the number one item you had mentioned is the ability to stay committed and consistency, but then being able to find out what other behaviors in that context are most appropriate and most effective, how, how can individuals cultivate those behaviors and, and kind of explore and figure out what those look like? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd say that one of the problems that I try to, to solve for some people is that extremely successful individuals who have found themselves in positions where they make decisions that impact other people, they're in senior leadership or executive positions within organizations. One of the things that has often happened is the talent that got you where you are, if you're listening to this, is probably the talent that distracted you from answering questions about your values and who you want to be. Mm -hmm. And what I found is that high-performing people, when they're young, start to get things done. And as you get things done, people become impressed with you. They give you more things to do, and then they reward you for doing them. So your respect goes up, your prestige goes up, your opportunities increase, how much money you make goes up. Once you prove you can get stuff done, people keep asking you to get stuff done, and then they reward you for it. And you start moving through your career, rising up in what we traditionally see as indicators of success. We make more money. We have better titles. We have more people reporting to us that often we spend so much time focusing on our to-do list, which, figures, which fills up because we're good, that the question of who we want to be along the way isn't asked very often. And so one of the things my work focuses on is if you want to be consistent in your behaviors and your decision making, you have to become consistent in the criteria you use to make decisions. And mm -hmm. so to answer your question for the people who are listening, what is the thing that you probably aren't doing that would lead to a higher level of performance, respect or effectiveness as a leader is most people don't know what their values are. Mm -hmm. they, they cannot point and say, these are the values that I use to make decisions. Um, well, can we actually, can we do an exercise, my man, if you're game for it, can I ask you a question? Sure. All right. Yeah. So let's say that I have someone follow you around for 30 days out of your life. You have no idea they're following you around. You have no knowledge. All they see are the decisions you make, the way you treat people, the things that come out of your mouth. All they get to see are your behaviors and your decision-making every day for a month. No idea they're following you. At the end of those 30 days, if I sat that person down and I said, based only on what he said, only on his public, his private interactions, what you've seen him do online, offline, people he loves, people he can't stand, people he's never met before serving him in a restaurant or at a bar, going only on how you've seen this man behave without your knowledge, what three values does he stand for above all others? So let me ask you, man, like, what three values do you want to leave in your wake personally and professionally? What three values do you pivot to 
every time you have to make the most difficult personal and professional decisions in your life. If I asked someone who'd followed you around that question, what three values would you say they say first and foremost drive you above everything else? What do you think it to be? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Putting me on the spot, Drew. Um, but that's a great exercise and great question. But I honestly, I would say I'm quite committed and I'm very consistent with what I decide to do. I would say that most people that know me would agree on those two behaviors. But I don't know. I, I'd have to think about that third one. But I think that just in the way I conduct my personal life and my professional life, in, in my values, um, I would say I'm pretty consistent and persistent in those values, you know, overall. So I don't know. I, I'd have to think about that, Drew. That, that's a great exercise and a great question. And it's one I pose execs all over the place. And, and honestly, the higher... The higher the achiever, the, the bigger the struggle is in answering with it. Most people can give me one very quickly. They usually are what I call the greatest hits. So if any of you are listening and you did that exercise in your head, I'll just give you half a second. Three values that based only on your behaviors, you think someone would see. So just think about them. Usually when I ask people, and I've asked hundreds of people, I get one or two very quickly. One comes right away. It's usually integrity, kindness, honesty. Uh, these are the three most common, integrity, uh, kindness, and honesty. They come very quickly, the first one. Second one follows relatively fast after that, but most people can't give me three. Most people cannot give me three. Now, mm. if you're listening out there right now, let's pick the one that's most common, integrity. But you can do this for yours too. Whatever your first value that popped into your head, imagine someone walks up to you and says, English is not my first language. That word does not translate directly into my language. Could you explain what it means in the simplest English terms possible? And do you mind starting your answer with three words? A commitment to. So integrity is a commitment to what? Accountability is a commitment to what? Excellence is a commitment to what? I'll tell everybody listening, like the reason I ask the question is that nobody knows the answer. And these are really successful, rich people like powerful, influential people that mentor people. And I'm not saying if you don't know the answer to this question, there's anything wrong with you. I'm saying the reason I do my work is because so many people who have found themselves in influential roles because of what they did to get there, because of what was asked of them to get there, skipped over this a lot. And so the one thing I, I suggest people start with is say, what are the values I'm going to use to make decisions? Because Whatever word you just thought of, most of us don't think of it during the course of the day. And I remember when I sat down and I thought about the values I wanted to embody in my work, professionally and personally, and it was words like courage and accountability and passion and growth and self-respect. But I realized I didn't know what any of those words meant. Like we use words like integrity. We use words like uh, accountability, words like growth, excellence class to evaluate ourselves and other people all the time. And most of us can't tell you what the words mean. Mm -hmm. And the reason I harp so much on getting people listening to start thinking about the values that drive them is because a value isn't a value if you don't use it as criteria for decision making. And what I try to help successful people do is to say, okay, let me be clear on the criteria I'm using to make decisions. I argue that if you aren't thinking of your core leadership values as you make decisions, they're not values. They're just stuff that looks good on a website or stuck on a, on a bulletin board in the office or put on an election sign. 
So my first task that I give to everyone listening is take a step back and say to yourself, what are the values I use to make decisions? Because most of the judgments we make about ourselves and other people is based on a really quick subconscious calculus. We look at the behavior we witnessed, we access the list of values that we think define a good leader, and we say, did that behavior live up to those values? The challenge is if we don't actually know what the values are that we're using as criteria, we don't make consistent decisions. Consistent decision-making comes from using consistent criteria to make decisions. And the problem is for most people, and this is myself included, the key criteria we're using to make decisions is this, which option will avoid the most consequences right now. And avoiding consequences and living your values are often mutually exclusive. So I know that's a long answer to what you just asked, that's but great. your question is like, what, what, are we, what are we not doing that will help us be more consistent? Step one, say these are the non-negotiable values that I want to be able to prove I live each day through my work. I want yeah. to be able to prove it. That's step one. That's a, a great insight, Drew. Thank you for that. Yeah, you know, this idea that a value is not a value unless you are committed to it and use it consistently. You know, which goes back, I think, to your previous, the common denominator between all good leaders, from your view, the number one common denominator, I should say, is this idea of staying committed. Uh, and you just did a, a full circle on that. I think you explained that very well. You know, once you are dedicated and once you understand what your values are as a leader, whether it be in your personal life or professional life, uh, you know, those values really aren't doing you any good whatsoever unless you're committed to those values. Um, and, unless you could prove them. Unless you can prove it to yourself, right? Like otherwise, it's yeah. just stuff that sounds good. And it's the same within business. You can claim that your values of a business as a business are important, but if they're never referenced when you make decisions, like when you let your management team know that you've made X decision as a company and you don't reference your company values when you announce the decision, what you've done there is you made your values irrelevant. Even yeah. if you did use them to make that decision, if that is not conveyed when that's, that's communicated onward, it means that you've missed an opportunity to remind people within the organization the values that drive the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, a big part of my work, and again, we can dive into this if you want, is that honestly, helping people understand the values of the organization isn't nearly as important as helping them understand their own values. Because what the research shows is that if you've got to choose between making sure the people who work for you understand their own values or they understand the company values, believe it or not, you're better off helping them understand their own. Because, like, If you can help them with both, awesome. But if you had to choose between one or the other, believe it or not, people who understand their own personal values in the workplace and get to feel like they're living them are much more committed, they're much prouder, they're le less likely to leave, and they're way more happy and engaged and productive at their jobs. Mm -hmm. That's kind of blew me away when I discovered that because I've been talking about using individual value clarity simply to help you as an individual become better. What I didn't realize when I first started out is that overall it makes companies better as well. Well, that's, that's uh, very interesting. Um, Drew, you, you talked about in your work, this idea of a personal leadership philosophy can you maybe explain that to our listeners and how does having a personal leadership philosophy contribute to successful and, you know, to your success as a leader? Can you speak to sure. that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. A personal leadership philosophy really just toss out the word leadership and replace it with decision making. 
So your personal decision-making philosophy. In other words, how do you articulate to other people and to yourself how you go about making decisions? And most people have never sat down and thought, how do I go about making decisions? And a personal leadership philosophy is really sitting down and saying, when push comes to shove, how do I ultimately make the toughest personal and professional decisions in my life? For instance, the reason I got interested in this idea of being very clear on your ultimate decision-making philosophy and making sure you tell other people what it is, is when I came across some research that showed people who articulate how they make decisions. For instance, I've consistently said, when you don't know what to do in a situation, ask yourself, what would the person who I want to be do in this situation? And then do that. So my personal leadership philosophy, or one of the key principal ones is, what would the man I want to be do in this situation? What would the man five years from now, talking to people he respects, what story does he want to tell about how he handled this situation right now? Even if the way I want to tell it in five years means I'm going to get screwed right now. So my philosophy is what would the man I want to be do? I've had uh, CEOs tell me people over profit is a very popular one. I had a one who, and this is kind of relevant right now, um, he said he always told all of his employees that his philosophy is going to be release the emails, which meant he said this constantly. Every meeting, every time they embarked on a new initiative, he always said, remember, everyone will release the emails, which means that every email you send is attached to this company's server, right? Like you're using our email addresses, you're using our uh, phones. If it, ever if it ever seems that we're accused of any kind of wrongdoing, I'm going to release all of the emails. Every text and every email sent on one of these phones is public consumption, and you should always behave as if one day it's going to show up in the paper. And he just said that over and over again. Whatever email you send, someone might read it one day. Not as a threat, as much as a, this is how I want us to behave. And because he said it so often, everyone knew that's the way he was going to process, and that's how he was going to make judgment. You want to learn about how people perceive your judgments? You text someone, if you're driving, don't do it right now, but text someone <laughs> and just say, hey, what would you say is my personal leadership philosophy or my personal decision-making philosophy? You will learn so much about how your leadership and your decisions are perceived. For instance, the research shows that if you're seen as someone who has one of these philosophies, you say it over and over again you score 110% higher on measures of overall leadership effectiveness. The people who you lead rank you 140% more effective as a leader than individuals who rank their bosses or their leaders who don't have one of these philosophies. Your teams have higher levels of pride and productivity, commitment to the organization, and you're 135% more likely to be trusted if you're seen as someone who constantly articulates out loud a philosophy of decision-making. What would the man I want to be do is so powerfully ingrained in me that I actually have it tattooed on the inside of my left forearm. Uh, and people know that. So when people are working with me, they know to never say in a meeting, well, technically we can do this because they know that any, any meeting where you use the word technically to justify a course of action, you're doing something shifty. And everyone listening knows that. If you use the word technically in a meeting to justify a course of action, you're doing something shifty. And everybody I work with knows that the man I want to be doesn't do shifty stuff. 
And as long as you have a philosophy that you repeat over and over again to the point where people roll their eyes when you start to say it because they've heard it from you so often, it seems like you're being made fun of. What you have established is clarity on how you make decisions. That I think is essential. And for me, like a big part of why I keep talking about consistency and decision making is, you know, a lot of this came from not just research in what it was like to be a leader running a charity or running a leadership program. A lot of it came from the fact that I'm a recovering alcoholic. And this principle of identifying certain, a small number of non-negotiable behaviors every day and staying committed to them with a, like a fierceness that cannot be shaken, that is what leads to completely shifting cultures. And it can work on an individual level to beat addiction. It can work on a broader level to overcome the distractions every day that keep us from engaging in leadership behaviors that we can use as proof that we live up to our values. We actually have to be able to prove we live up to our values to ourselves. Most leaders I know, regardless of how well they're paid or what their title says, one, can't tell me what their values are, and two, can't prove it. And inevitably, if you go to work every day, no matter how much they pay you, if you can't point to moments where you honestly can say, this is where I was being the man, the woman, the person I wanted to be, eventually it drains you. It eventually wears you out. No matter how good you are at your job, you end up becoming a little bit on the spiritually bankrupt side. And no matter how good your job is, it's very hard to do it while spiritually or intellectually or emotionally bankrupt. Fascinating. Uh, great insight, Drew. You know, I was going to ask you a, a question regarding, you know, how do you cultivate these behaviors for leadership success? And my question was going to be uh, for you, how can leaders adapt to changing circumstances and continue to cultivate, you know, these, these behaviors over time? And I think that the way you articulated the, the answer to your previous question in that it starts out with knowing your values, right? And then yeah. being committed and consistent with those values and then decision-making based on those values, right? And, and you repeat a philosophy and, and you kind of, you, you come up with a philosophy that represents those values and consistency to those values and making decisions on those values. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and I think that, you know, I think that's how leader, leaders can adapt to changing uh, circumstances, right? You just have this consistency in your values. And even if you have some flux in your circumstances or your context, you, you, you continue to live by those values. You, you hit it on the head, my friend. It's the, old, the thing that what I talk about is the things that have to stay consistent when everything else is changing. Because mm -hmm. you cannot be inflexible on anything as a leader because we have no idea what's coming at, coming at us. But you hit it on the head is that when your values are, I don't want to say inflexible, when your values are front and center and clearly understood, it makes it so that there's stability within chaos. So there's two sides to your values as a leader. One, it's you living your values every time the opportunity presents itself. So here comes something, it shows up in your, in your everyday work on how you treat someone or a decision you make, and you access your values because you understand them and you've defined them, and you say, okay, here's my decision. So that is living your values whenever the opportunity presents itself. Good leaders do that. Where great leaders separate from good leaders is good leaders live their values whenever they get the chance. Great leaders create opportunities to live their values. And so what I encourage leaders to do, and, and it's an involved process, but the first thing I'd suggest all of you do, because I'm sure this is a question coming down the pipe, my friend, is 
how do you figure out what the values are? Yeah. yeah. So step yeah. one, start thinking about your advice. I call it the edge of the bed advice. I often, when I bring a new team together, will ask people to go home and bring me 30 pieces of this advice. Uh, and then we share it with one another. It's actually a great team building activity. But the idea is you think about if someone you love so much that you want them to have a better life than you do is leaving your house. They're, they're moving out tomorrow. And you go and you sit on the edge of their bed the night before they leave and they say, what do I need to know? What insights on life, on relationships, on business, on being a boss, on being a follower? What insights have most contributed to your happiness? Give me 30 pieces of what I call edge of the bed advice that accesses your failures, your successes, your favorite pieces of advice, your worst decisions. Give me 30 pieces of advice that will make me happier and more successful in life and work. And I ask all of you leaders out there to write down as many of them as you can. If you have trouble thinking of one, just pick a topic and ask yourself, what do I know to be true about? So what do I know to be true about failure? What do I know to be true about friendship? What do I know to be true about mentorship? And then just write a couple of things down every day for a couple of weeks. And when you get up to 30 of these pieces of advice, what I tell people to do is start reverse engineering. What are the values at the base of these? Every piece of advice you give someone else personally and professionally, you're basically saying to them, take this piece of advice to heart and you're going to do a better job living the value of perseverance or the value of honesty or the value of family or maybe the value of perseverance and self-respect and something else. But at the foundation of every piece of advice that you, be, that you would give, if you look at your entire career and you write down all the pieces of advice you would give someone who you want to succeed, at the foundation of every piece of advice is at least one value, one to three values. Mm -hmm. Take a look at the advice you created and reverse engineer and say, what is the value I was getting at here? And if you do that with 30 pieces of advice, not only is the process of sitting down and asking, how am I wise and what can I pass on? Something that busy people rarely do. What you will find is that if you reverse engineer one to three values behind every one of your pieces of, of professional and personal advice, you will find that three to six values occur over and over and over again. And mm. those three to six, those are the ones that whether you realized it or not, those are the ones that you want to be able to prove you lived every day. That's the first step is reverse engineering based on your professional and life advice, what values you think you're passing on to the world through that advice, because your lived experience is a much better indicator of what you value than some hypothetical I give you on a podcast, you know? That's great advice, uh, Drew. Great insight. I just love that. You know, kicking off this interview, I really wanted to pick your brain on this idea of what are the behaviors or what are the values of leadership, right? And what does that look like? Are there any common denominators? And, you know, clearly you, you had mentioned this idea of really knowing your values, being committed and consistent, and then making decisions based on those values and, uh, and then have that personal philosophy. And so, and then, you know, I wanted to, to have you share with our listeners, you know, understanding the leadership and your values within a certain context and how to approach leadership that's most productive for that environment is one thing, but good leaders, you know, it's also about leadership growth, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I really love what you said, because my next question was, well, how can you nurture that? How can you continue to grow as a leadership and develop over time? And you just wonderfully just kind of laid it out. I mean, it's, you know, you have these three pieces of advice, 
you reverse engineering. And by doing that, what you're doing is you continue to reflect on your values. You know, you just had mentioned, yeah. well, what comes out of the wash in that exercise, it's probably all going to tie back to these values that we talked about in the first, you know, two or three questions of this conversation. Yeah. Um, and then there's, there's one more step that you take to go beyond that, which is once you know what the values are by reverse engineering them, you try to make sure you live them every day, not just when the chance happens. So when I did that process, I came up with, uh, just to, to be specific, uh, impact, well, the, the six values that started coming up for me were impact, growth, courage, empowerment, class, and self-respect. And so what I constantly do is every day, I get up in the morning and I say, in order to earn another day on this planet, you could do this with your job, you know, in order to not get fired at the end of today, I need to prove that I lived three out of these six values today. Something I did intentionally live these values. And what I discovered and what we discovered at the university was there's an easier way to sort of prompt your mind to do that. And it's instead of having goals, you have questions that need to be answered. And there's psychological, I'm not going to dive into the psychological uh, phenomena, but basically if you turn a goal into a question, you're more likely to do it. So if every day I wanted to get up and have impact by making someone feel better off for having interacted with me, just having one interaction that sends them away feeling better, I can put that on my to-do list, but I'll get distracted. They'll be, I'll fall into the pattern that I've done for my whole life, which is I got to get everything done for everybody. But if I turn that value of impact into a question, what did I do today to recognize someone else's leadership is one of my six questions I have every day. Hmm. Well... The research shows that that question will cause your brain to be so uncomfortable because it doesn't have an answer that it will constantly be on the lookout for a chance to answer the question. And so if I go out there every day and my brain is going to feel crappy with this question, what have I done today to recognize someone else's leadership? I will feel uncomfortable until that question is answered. And so what happens is every time I see somebody behave in a way that says that deserves to be recognized as leadership, as impactful, as empowering, whatever it was, my brain goes, oh, thank God, here's my chance to answer the question. And so I go through every day with six questions tied to my values. What did I do today to recognize someone else's leadership for impact? What did I do today to make it more likely someone would learn something for growth? What did I do today that might not work, but I tried it anyway for courage? What did I do today to move someone else closer to a goal for empowerment? When did I elevate a situation that I could have escalated for class? Elevate means trying to succeed. Escalate means trying to win. And self-respect was what have I done today to be good to myself? What have I done today to make myself stronger is another one. And every day, to earn another day on the planet, I got to answer three of those six questions. And what I encourage every leader to do is in the midst of everything else that you have to do and all the uncertainty that gets thrown at you every day, take the time to say, these are the values I want to be able to say I lived every day, turn them into questions that become an expectation that you have for yourself every day. You create your own test. And then you put those questions in your phone to pop up at say noon and 4 p.m. and 9 p.m. They just keep reminding your brain that it's an expectation that you'll get this question answered. How did I move someone else closer to a goal today? I haven't done that yet. I got to make sure that I take the time to do that on top of everything else I want to get done today. Every day I have a leadership test tied to my core values that I try to live. And the reason it works is that your brain hates unanswered questions. Hmm. And what I've done is you take your values and you break it down into a question. And then you ask yourself a tiny number of questions every day. The number of questions are small, 
but the impact of the commitment is huge. And I got it from the one thing every single day. Are you going to have a drink today? I am not. Can I make that same decision tomorrow? I don't know. I do know I've made it this many days, 2,879 days in a row, but that doesn't matter if you don't make it today. So this idea that to strip everything else away and just have certain non-negotiable behaviors that have to be a part of every day, I have found that some of the highest performing people can identify any non-negotiables that they do tied to their values every day. They might get up every day and do a run that's tied to their physical fitness. They don't tie that back to a value. I'm encouraging everyone listening amongst everything else you have to get done in your job, make sure you identify non-negotiable moments where you can live the values that you claim drive you as a professional every day. Because otherwise, they're just words. You're claiming that you stand for them. We need to be able to prove it to ourselves. It's what makes us better leaders of other people. It's what makes us better at empowering other people. When we can look in the mirror and know that the phrase, I'm the type of person who, is it a lie? Because let's face it, man, you know that the phrase, I'm the type of person who, is almost always followed by a lie. Yeah. I guess my work is to say yeah. to people, I don't know what your leadership calls for every day, but I do know if you're lying to yourself when you say, I'm the type of person who, it always catches up with you and it makes you worse at your job. So I try to encourage people to do certain things that regardless of what their leadership calls for, it will provide them with strength and guidance in difficult times, regardless of what those scenarios are. There are certain aspects of our leadership that must stay the same. I claim it's our values because if we're going to use our values as decision-making criteria, the only way we make consistent decisions is to keep our criteria consistent. That's impossible if we don't know what it is. That was a long answer, and I'm really sorry, brother. No, Drew, that is great. Thank you. And you know, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is, you know, what are some of the common challenges? Because everybody wants to be a better leader, right? I, I think, and if you don't, uh, then, you know, if you're a leader and you don't want to try to be a better leader, then, uh, you know, you're, not, interesting. Listening to, you're yeah. not listening to this podcast if that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> but what what are some of the, the common challenges that leaders face as they grow and how can they overcome them? was a question I had for you, but I think you already answered that, Drew, because is it really just the basic blocking and tackling? You know, this idea of just being deliberate and intentful with this reflection of these 30 pieces of advice and then breaking those into values. And then you turn those into these daily questions and, and, and essentially affirmations, right? By asking yourself these questions, you reinforce, am I living up to these values? So is that how you, leaders kind of overcome challenges and, and continue to develop? Is it just... I mean, I'm not saying it's simple because it's not. I mean, to do this in reality, yeah. I think tactically is is a challenge. But I mean, that just sounds like fantastic advice. I mean, just basic blocking and tackling and just find a way to live up to your values by asking these questions that you have been deliberate on and reflected in and you know, try to live, try to get yourself answers to these questions every single day. Yeah, I never heard it called blocking and tackling. I like it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's one tool. I'll, I'll be straight with you on that. This is one tool that I use. There's a million different factors and there's no just anything, mm -hmm. but this is one thing I do to try. There's so much noise and responsibility of being a leader that it's hard to focus on any one thing. And so what I try to talk about is, okay, well, here's something we can control. And my hope is that resonates with some people being like, okay, well, that's something I can add to my life in, in order to be more deliberate without having to change anything dramatically. Um, the number one challenge that I think most leaders 
are overlooking or that number one tool that I think could be useful is uh, we don't put enough focus on accountability and getting help with accountability. Uh, so in my life, I've lost 100 pounds more than once. Unfortunately, that says something about how easy it is to gain it back. Uh, I've lost 100 pounds. I've tried to take care of uh, my mental health after I was diagnosed as having bipolar. And one of the things I, I learned is that when you're a high performer, there's almost a satisfaction that comes from doing it on your own because you know that it makes people look at you and say, oh, wow, uh, that's I can't do that. And we know that when we can do things other people can't do, that we get rewarded for it. What I will say to everyone listening is that to surround yourself with a small number of people for whom you have a great deal of respect, but that you give them permission to annoy you, uh, is that's the definition of accountability partners. <laughs> Everything that you do, living your values, uh, being more physically active, um, you know, spending more time with your family, whatever commitment you make is usually not going to come through if the only person to whom you make that commitment is yourself. And so what I also encourage people to do is when you identify these are the values I want to be able to live, I want to be able to prove to myself that I did it, here are my questions every day. Make sure that you enlist someone else, often someone you don't work with, someone else who you respect and who would be willing to give of their time just a little bit to hold you accountable to what you're doing. So if I say I'm going to answer three out of six questions every day, I have somebody who reaches out to me every day and says, what were your three questions? And who I've given permission to give me crap if I don't, if I consistently yeah. don't do it. You know what I mean? So yeah. one of the factors that not enough leaders do, whatever strategy you've been trying to implement to make yourself a better leader, do it as a group. Find two or three other people who have the same sort of interest in getting something done or improving in a certain way or exploring some new strategy on how to be better and give them permission to piss you off. To say, when I don't do this, I don't want you to let it go. I want you to make me feel bad. And that has been a huge thing for me. To have a small group of three or four people that we work together to hold each other accountable. And it is seen as a sign of great respect when I reached out to people and said, would you be the person who would be willing to make sure I do this every day? Uh, because I think enough of you and what you accomplish to think you can help me reach my goals. What can I do to help you reach yours? I'm telling you, high performing people need to spend more time getting together into accountability groups. Once you form accountability groups, you would be absolutely amazed at what kind of additional strength, what kind of additional confidence, and just straight up how many better decisions you make and how much more committed you are to the toughest stuff. I, I really believe that. The, yeah. the thing that all of us are facing is this tendency to try to face things alone. And if you're listening to this, no, enlist the three people that you trust and respect the most and say, I want to accomplish this. I'm not doing it on my own. Will you help me? I guarantee you, if you just take that piece of advice, everything else I've said this entire podcast pales in comparison to that. And Drew, isn't this advice that you're giving to our listeners today and this idea of reflection and the 30 pieces of advice and how do you break that down into values and then asking the right questions and then being accountable, right? Having somebody that you give, you know, you allow them to call BS on, on yeah. your answers to your questions on a daily basis. But can't that same approach, isn't that scalable? And can't leaders use that to foster a culture of values-driven leadership within their organization? Without a doubt. I'll, I'll be yeah. honest with you, man. The biggest mistake leaders make with this is they try to go too fast. They try to come up with six values and six questions right away. I encourage you to pick one. 
like pick one value, create one question. And it's not even an affirmation. It actually is psychologically impactful that when you put a question in your brain, it will keep working at it, trying to find an answer. It's why you remember the name of that actor or actress two days after you gave up remembering the name, uh, your brain keeps hammering at it. So like, I think a, a big piece of, of what I try to talk about is recognizing that it has to happen in stages. And if you want, as you just said, yes, this can become a culture of value-driven leadership and value-driven decision-making, but it cannot be implemented from the top down. It has to be demonstrated from the top down. And when you're transparent as a leader who, let's face it, has authority over other people, and they see you saying, these are the values I care about, and these are the questions I'm going to try to answer every day, only once you've demonstrated that you're doing it, is it easier to then say to other people, here's what I've been doing. I'd like us to do it together. Because if you ask your team to everyone bring in some pieces of edge to the bed advice, that in and of itself is an amazing exercise to help people better understand who they work with and what drives them. Uh, the same if you want to start a discussion about values within your team and how you're going to make decisions and better understand what people are using to make decisions. Give them all a list of 12 values that are applicable to your particular organization or your group or your department and ask them to rank them individually at home. Look, we know they're all good, but if you had to rank these in importance from 1 to 12, what would you do? Then have everybody come together on the team and say, great, you have half an hour to come up with a consensus ranking based on your individual rankings. Go. And honestly, my friends, the final rankings aren't important. What's important is that somebody who has integrity ranked number one and, and fun ranked number 12 and someone they work with who has fun ranked number two and integrity ranked number 10, they're going to have something to talk about. But I'll tell you, discussing differences in values when it's all an exercise as opposed to it's come up because of a conflict is way, way more beneficial. So this discussion amongst yourself and amongst your people as to what values drive them and what they mean is absolutely essential. And simply discussing what values mean and how they impact any workplace is a huge step forward because most people don't talk about them. And if they do, it's in the context of assigning company values to employees. We're much better off talking about what are the values that drive the people we work with. And then asking them to figure out what they are and the discussion creates a stronger team simply in the discussion. But none of that can happen until you start doing it yourself. All this stuff has to happen in stages. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that, Drew. So if you don't mind, it's been a, a great conversation here, but I have two more questions for you before I let you go today, of course. if you don't mind. And so my next question then is, well, how do I know then that I'm maturing as a leader? You know, so through everything that you've described to us today, I mean, what is that? Is there any sort of KPIs or metrics or proof in the pudding? I mean, certainly it's not a superficial answer like, well, I improved the top line, the bottom line, the sales revenue and so forth. You know, through all this tactical advice that you provided for our listeners today and you go through these exercises and you go through this reflection and understand your values and turn those into questions and get the right uh, answer those questions every day, either for yourself or from somebody else. And then you can do the same thing you know, at an organizational level. But then at the end of the day, how do I know I'm maturing as a leader? Man, that's such a tough question. And I don't know if this will be a satisfactory answer. Often, you won't see it. And so you actually aren't necessarily the best person 
to make that evaluation, which is another reason your accountability people are important um, because they're the four week people. And what I mean by that is when I embarked on trying to be fitter and healthier, uh, when it, I did it the last time, I wasn't trying to lose weight. I was with a coach who told me I was trying to gain health. And they told me that it will take you four weeks of disciplined commitment before you notice any results. It will take six weeks, sorry, the six-week people. It will take six, week, six weeks before your closest friends notice the difference. And it will take eight before the people at large notice the difference. And that's why your accountability people are your six-week people, not your four-week, but your six-week. They're the ones who notice after you, but before the rest of the world. And sometimes it's that extra little someone noticing before the world does that keeps you motivated. So one, your accountability people can help you start to understand how you're getting better. But part of it is this. When I went into recovery for drinking, all that they, we could teach, we were taught was, you need to make one non-negotiable decision every day for the rest of your life. Between getting out of bed in the morning and going to sleep, you must choose not to have a drink. Not choose not to have a drink for the rest of your life. Choose not to have a drink today. And then you have to treat every day of the rest of your life as if it is your first day of recovery. The challenge with that approach is that you never feel like you're done. But that's the key piece is that it's a constant ongoing commitment. And so if you answer your leadership value questions 300 out of 365 days, you grew as a leader. Your growth when you are consistent with individual ordinary acts done with extraordinary consistency is going to be imperceptible to you. You should set benchmarks along the way for things that you want to have accomplished, but it's very hard to set benchmarks for who you want to be. The only way you can truly know you're doing that is to identify the behaviors that inevitably create that kind of person and then stick to those behaviors 300 out of 365 days a year. And you won't see the growth. All you can see is your commitment. But if you stick to the commitment, the growth is inevitable. And I know that's a non-satisfactory answer to a lot of people, but I will say you can benchmark what you do. You can't benchmark who you are. All you can do is say, I got to be able to see a commitment to these behaviors day after day. And if you commit to those behaviors day after day, year after year takes care of itself. And some people find that to be non-satisfactory because, oh, well, where, where's the benchmarks? Where is the deliverables? But I haven't had a drink in almost 3,000 days. That's mm -hmm. the deliverable. And I am a bigger and better person now because of that. The same way I can't specifically point to how I'm better for answering three of those six questions for close to a decade, but I do know that I am. And sometimes you have to, God help us all with the, the cliche, trust the process, right? Yeah. Drew, my friend, great insight and advice. Thank you so much. So lastly, one more question before I let you go for today. And that is, sure. what is your golden nugget of advice that you would like to leave <laughs> with our listeners today based on this conversation? The golden nugget of advice. See, that's why I let people have 30 pieces of edge of the bed advice, because trying to boil anything <laughs> down to one is difficult. Yeah. Um, so here, here is a real one and then just kind of a jokey one. Uh, the real one is try to always repeat to yourself, there is no reason for anything. There are reasons for everything. And I think one of our challenges as a leader is that we try to turn things into like one causation, one reason that things happened. 
if I could just fix this one thing, in everything you do as a leader, there there is not a reason for anything that happened. There are reasons for everything that happened. And you are not responsible for a large portion of them. Forgive yourself. That's the serious one. Mm. Uh, there are a lot of reasons for everything, and you are not in charge of most of them. So forgive yourself for the mistakes you make. Uh, in the same vein, there is nothing on this earth that cannot be made better by a sleep and a shower. <laughs> I, I, I Honestly, like I won't say it'll fix it. We all know it won't fix it. But everything is better after a sleep and a shower. And on a serious note from a joking answer, the number one resource that leaders have available that they throw away and don't use is sleep. So awesome. sleep, yeah. shower, forgiveness. Those three awesome. things, if you use them, and if you rinse, repeat using those three things, you're <laughs> always going to be okay. Incredible advice. Thank you, Drew. Listeners, in today's episode, we had such an insightful and fun conversation about practical leadership with a focus on leadership behaviors and philosophy, as well as leadership growth and values. We learned about the importance of cultivating traits that empower those around us and reflection and behavioral changes that can improve leadership. Our guest also discussed the core leadership values of consistency, commitment, accountability, and reflection. To implement what we have learned, we can start by identifying and adopting a personal leadership philosophy rooted in value-driven decision-making, I think is a major takeaway for me after this uh, wonderful conversation with Drew today. It's not just about listening and learning, but it's also about taking action and applying these insights to move the needle forward in your own leadership journey. Drew, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate your dedication to your trade. And uh, it was such a fun conversation. Before I let you go, Drew, can you share with our listeners how they can get in touch with you? Oh, sure. It's drewdudley.com. D-R-E-W-D-U-D-L-E-Y.com is where you can find pretty much everything about me. And if you're looking for me on social media, I'm on pretty much all of them as Day One Drew. That's D-A-Y-O-N-E-D-R-E-W. Fantastic. And we'll definitely include that in our uh, show notes as well. Drew, thanks so much, my friend. It was such a fun conversation and uh, really looking forward to uh, getting you back on again soon. Keep in touch and be well. You too, my friend. All the very best. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the ERP OCJ podcast. This podcast is intended as a forum to study, share, and discuss ERP organizational change successes and challenges. We discuss the people, process, and technological components of ERP organizational change by drawing on knowledge from extensive research, collaborative learning, and practitioner expertise and experience. We are incredibly grateful to have friends, colleagues, and mentors join us in our podcast as we seek to promote, connect, and foster relationships in the ERP organizational change community and contribute to its success by bringing research and practice closer together. We want to make sure this is the most useful and insightful ERP podcast you listen to, and we'd love your help in doing so by leaving us feedback and a review. A great place to do so is at Apple Podcasts. Just click on the Listen in Apple Podcasts link, then click Ratings and Reviews, and let us know your thoughts. You can get more info about the show, including show notes and episode highlights for this and all of our episodes by visiting nestleandassociates.com and clicking the Podcast option. 
please join us again next week as we discuss the latest ERP organizational change research, practice, and stories. And don't forget to follow us on social media, hashtag the ERPOCJ. Thanks again for listening. Have a fantastic week.